You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. McAfee describes Operation Dinshin, a probable Chinese collection effort directed against telecoms and 5G technology. Organizations around the world continue to work to thwart exploitation of exchange server vulnerabilities. What's a web shell and what can it do? Ben Yellen looks at cell phone data gathered from the U.S. Capitol riot. Our guest is Ross Rastiti from ZeroFox on the evolution of ransomware. And how much does it cost to redirect all your SMS messages to some goon? Turns out, only 16 bucks. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, March 16th, 2021. McAfee's Advanced Threat Research Strategic Intelligence Team late this morning released its research into a threat actor they found operating against telecommunications targets, specifically against individuals working in that industry. McAfee is calling the campaign Operation Dinshin after the Mandarin word for telecommunication, appropriately enough. Their work includes a technical analysis of the campaign's tactics, techniques, and procedures— which show some signs of overlapping TTPs used by both Red Delta and Mustang Panda, groups that have generally been associated with Chinese intelligence services. It's not clear exactly how victims have been infected, but McAfee believes with moderate confidence that they were lured in some fashion to a domain under the control of the threat group, where malware was installed in their devices with a view to further exploitation— The malicious domain was designed to look like a career site for Huawei. The individuals the campaign sought to lure were mostly in Southeast Asia, Europe, and the U.S., and the threat actors appeared to be interested in German, Vietnamese, and Indian telecom companies. The motive, McAfee thinks, was probably to collect against proposed bans of Chinese equipment from the global 5G rollout, and also to steal sensitive or secret information in relation to 5G technology. McAfee has also offered some advice on threat hunting and other ways of increasing an organization's defenses against campaigns like Operation Dinshin. The operations of that other Chinese-run threat group, Hafnium, remains, of course, in the news. 
Its cyber espionage campaign exploiting now-patched exchange server Zero Days morphed in late February into multiple campaigns conducted by both state-directed and criminal threat actors. France 24's account of the incident bears out their headline, It's Turning into a Global Crisis. Criminal interest in exploiting unpatched exchange servers continues unabated. Security firm Checkpoint says that its observed attacks increased by an order of magnitude just over the past week, from 700 on March 11th all the way up to 7,200 just yesterday on March 15th. Quote, The country most attacked has been the United States, with 17% of all exploit attempts, followed by Germany, 6%, the United Kingdom, 5%, the Netherlands, 5%, and Russia, 4%, Checkpoint researchers say. The most targeted industry sector has been government and military, with 23% of all exploit attempts, followed by manufacturing, banking and financial services, software vendors, and healthcare. Exploitation of exchange server also offers considerable opportunity for fraud, and a more plausible kind of fraud than one sees in crudely executed phishing expeditions. The social engineering experts at Know Before have seen a corresponding rise in account impersonation attempts. Quote, Account impersonation is incredibly dangerous because the recipient of the email believes that they are speaking to the trusted party via email, so they are much more likely to click on a malicious link or open an infected email attachment. Ransomware is another one of the potential cybersecurity problems that threaten the operational capabilities of businesses that have not patched their systems yet due to this exploit. For any organization using Microsoft Exchange servers, it is recommended to patch immediately. End quote. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has updated its advice on dealing with Microsoft Exchange server exploitation to include notes on China chopper web shells being used against victims. The UK's National Cybersecurity Center, like its counterparts in the US, Germany, and elsewhere, has urged all organizations, both public and private, to apply Microsoft's patches as soon as possible. They also recommend that all organizations look for signs of compromise by threat actors, whether Chinese intelligence services or criminal gangs. To return to CISA's advice, the agency stresses that its most recent list of seven China chopper web shells isn't necessarily exhaustive. They also have a useful summary of what a web shell is and what it can do. CISA explains, quote, A web shell is a script that can be uploaded to a compromised Microsoft Exchange server to enable remote administration of the machine. Threat actors use them to harvest and exfiltrate sensitive data and credentials, to upload additional malware for the potential of creating, for example, a watering hole for infection and scanning of further victims, to use as a relay point to issue commands to hosts inside the network without direct Internet access, and to use as command and control infrastructure, potentially in the form of a bot in a botnet or in support of compromises to additional external networks. This could occur if the adversary intends to maintain long-term persistence. Patching exchange server is obviously necessary, albeit not sufficient, to protect against the ongoing attacks. Microsoft itself has continued to update its guidance on protecting on-premise exchange servers from attacks. Just yesterday, the Microsoft Security Response Center released a new one-click mitigation tool to help users secure both current and out-of-support versions of exchange server, 
The tool will be of particular use to smaller organizations that may lack a dedicated security team. Vice has a disturbing first-person account of how an SMS marketing tool by Sakari can be accused to redirect messages to a third party. It's not an exotic hack. All the bad actors would need to do is sign up for the service. It's only 16 bucks a bargain as these things go. Falsely claim to be the owner of your number and then have your messages redirected to a number under their control. It's not that Sakari is deliberately marketing to criminals, but rather, to judge from Vice's account, that the method of verifying that the number you want to have forwarded is in fact a number that belongs to you. Too close to the honor system, and as you all know, there's no honor among thieves. And of course, you don't need to be a technical sophisticate to be a successful cyber crook. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Ross Rustesey is Global Head of Security Architecture and Threat Intelligence at ZeroFox. He joins us with an update on what he and his team have been tracing in terms of the evolution of ransomware. So ransomware is one of these unique attributes of the criminal underground where you've seen several evolutions over the last really five years or so. And really what was noteworthy in 2020 and coming into this year in 2021 is really the cat and mouse game that we're seeing between security professionals and the operators of ransomware. It's not necessarily that the malware itself is getting more sophisticated or we're seeing radical changes in what they're doing it or how they're doing it in terms of the technical implementation, but rather their operating model is changing as more and more companies are getting better about having 
backups, being able to basically recover from the initial intrusion without necessarily paying the ransomware operators. They're looking for new monetization ways. And so they've started doing a much broader exfiltration of data and trying to hold that data hostage with the threat of public exposure and doxing rather than just the traditional model that we had seen for the longest time where they would encrypt the files and hope denial of access was enough to get that monetization aspect. And and where do we stand when it comes to whether or not folks are actually paying the ransoms these days? That is a complicated question to get good statistics on. Um, Mm. The general impression, I think, of a lot of defenders is more often than not, you will see companies pay the ransom. And that's because of the fact that it's simply cheaper to do so than to go through the expense of rebuilding the network, especially if you don't have secure backups. I think what we saw in kind of the 2019, early 2020 phase of things is more and more companies were moving towards secure backups, getting better at some of your traditional defenses and thus reducing that payout. And that's why you saw the reaction from the ransomware authors. And now that they've created this new wrinkle in the operation, it's forcing companies to make that hard choice again. And you're seeing them go back to paying the ransom because, again, it's easier and it reduces their overall exposure. Yeah, you know, we, we mentioned at the outset that there's kind of been these these waves of, of evolution in this. Does it seem like we're... We're kind of in a an equilibrium state right now where uh, it's hard to imagine, you know, what, what the next wave is going to be. If if, if changes are, are on the horizon or, or indeed, uh, you know, the malware operators see a necessity to make any changes? Yeah, I think right now the move's really with the network defenders. Um, we got really good at trying to foil the traditional ransomware operation, make the availability of data not as painful for the corporation, and as such, not pay as often. We saw the ransomware move to that. It was the doxing, it was exfiltrating data, it was causing pain in a different way. Now it's really up to us as defenders to figure out how you minimize that. And I think we're going to see kind of another year cycle here, where 2021, you're still gonna see a lot of doxing, the security community is going to finally come up with a response and start slowing down the amount of payments. And then it's going to take another four to six months for the ransomware operators to find the next new thing for everybody to gravitate to. That's Ross Rustacy from Zero Fox. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. (laughs) 
And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security. Also my co-host on the Caveat Podcast. Ben, great to have you back. Good to be with you, Dave. So you and I have been following with great interest uh, the ongoing developments uh, with the the fallout from the January 6th uh, insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. And an article came by here that you actually brought to my attention uh, about um, the FBI and their confidence in uh, some of the cell tower dumps that they've gotten. Bring us up to date here. uh, What's on your radar? So this is from uh, the website EmptyWheel.net, which is run by Marcy Wheeler, a prominent independent journalist who covers surveillance, uh, privacy, security topics. Um, And she wrote a piece on how the FBI must have confidence in the granularity of their uh, capital cell tower dumps. And what she did is she went to the through the affidavits of three individuals who have been arrested in connection with the insurrection and how cell location information obtained from data dumps and from geofencing has helped lead uh, to the prosecution of these individuals. Hmm. So in the first case, she discusses some of the rest of the evidence seems rather inconclusive and a little bit flimsy. Uh, This person posted on social media, uh, but when they posted on social media, they were outside the Capitol, which is not illegal at that point. You could be outside the Capitol Uh, without breaking the law. And there was kind of a blurry picture that seemed to maybe show this person inside the Capitol, uh, but might not have been convincing to a judge or a jury. So they're relying on uh, this data dump from AT&T, which asserts that this person's cell phone pings one of the AT&T cell phone uh, towers or whatever they were using inside the U.S. Capitol. And there are a couple of other cases that they follow, including one case dealing with a prominent member of the Oath Keepers, which is a a militant group with uh, associates potentially high up uh, in the Trump world, the Trump administration. And they're Hmm. relying on these data dumps uh, in that case, too. And in that case, it really matters, because if you're not able to secure a prosecution of this individual, you're potentially not going to be able to get this person to flip on, on the higher ups. So in one of these cases, they had just a really interesting map showing how this actually works in practice. So this is actually for a third criminal defendant. Uh, They found his Gmail by uh, looking at his Instagram account, which he put his Gmail on his Instagram account. First mistake. Um, (laughs) And uh, through Gmail, they uh, were able to obtain data from Google, who did its own uh, geofencing data dump. Uh, on the day of the insurrection. And what Google says is they have these little radii of, uh, you know, at each individual location, depending on your proximity to a cell phone tower, how much of a radius they can be confident that you as an individual are in. Mm. Uh, And if you look at the diagram they drew, they have three circles based on the pinged locations of this device most of those three circles, the vast majority of them, uh, fall inside that Capitol building. Uh, but a small portion of one of the circles uh, falls outside the Capitol building, which if I'm a defense attorney, uh, that would be a, a nice way to show that there might be reasonable doubt uh, right, in, in, in this case. <laughs> right. um, my, 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 my client was merely peering inside the windows from Yeah, outside. exactly. But he just yeah. wanted to see what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Sure. What's also interesting is Google says that these radii themselves are only about 68% accurate. So if I'm a hmm. defense attorney, you know, I'm running with that. I put the Google representative on the stand and say, 
you know, well, how accurate are these representations? Are these these uh, projected radii? And if they say 68%, I'm looking straight at the jury, you know, and saying 68% seems to me to fall short of that threshold where you're beyond a reasonable doubt. So just yeah. really interesting um, how the FBI is relying on these data dumps and, and geofencing. Um, but, you know, when you have this really key distinction here between out being outdoors, which is legal, and being indoors, which is illegal, the importance of granularity really comes into focus. Yeah. Uh, I just put on my uh, my RF uh, nerd hat for a bit, uh, something in a former life that I had some familiarity with. Uh, and by the way, uh, we get into detail in this case over on the Caveat podcast. So if you want uh, more coverage of that, do check that out. But uh, one of the interesting things that's brought up in this article and uh, in the comments as well is... Um, how it is important what the Capitol building is made out of, that it is made out of thick stone and it has a metal roof. And all of those things are unfriendly to the radio frequencies that are used for cellular communications. And what that leads to is a conclusion that it is highly likely that there are cell, cell uh, towers, towers, uh, cell you know, access points within the building itself. Um, because it's hard to get signals into the building and it's hard to get signals out of the building. So that would increase the accuracy as well if, if it is in fact the case and, and these folks seem to think it highly likely that there are these very small beacon points for cellular communications within the capital itself, uh, which is another fascinating point that sort of plays against <laughs> the folks who might be trying to uh, keep their locations or identities uh, anonymized. And as you pointed out over on Caveat, a big part of the Capitol building is underground. Absolutely. So you're not going to be getting reliable cell phone service there, so you have to put in those access points. Right. Um, there are basements and sub-basements in that building, uh, if mm-hmm. you've ever ridden the elevators there, as I have. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, the infrastructure is there. Uh, obviously, it was put there not to detect insurrectionists, uh, but that happens to be a side benefit of it. Right, right. No, it's a fascinating story. Uh, again, it's over on uh, emptywheel.net. Uh, it's uh, titled, FBI Seems Confident in the Granularity of Their Capital Cell Tower Dumps. Uh, more on this topic over on the Caveat Podcast. We hope you'll check that out. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Best eaten in town, up and down, and all around. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.
And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 